Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave and Becky. On today's show, we are agonizing through the end of another four-day break as the Rangers try to keep up the momentum from last week's beatdowns of the Isles and Bruins. We'll discuss, we'll discuss what's made the Rangers successful, sing Julian Gauthier's praises, and grade Artemi Panarin's glove-throwing skills. We're also going to chat with Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report and get his thoughts on the season so far, learn a bit about uh, a bit about his Rangers fandom and compare rebuilds. Connor covers the Jets, so he intimately knows that uh, those things don't always go according to plan. Uh, should be a really great conversation with him. But first, Dave and Becky, how are we feeling here on day four, what seems like an interminable wait for the next uh, Rangers game? I mean, my wife is loving it. She gets the TV. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Like she, uh, I told her the Sunday game was canceled and, well, postponed. And she goes, really? I can watch what I want? I'm like, you know, we have other TVs, right? <laughs> you know that's not the only television in the <laughs> yeah. house. Well, you, but yes. You don't watch live TV. I do. We have we have other TVs that you can stream from anywhere. Right? So, you know. But she loves it. I'm miserable, but she loves it. Yeah, I'm like going through withdrawal. I'm starting to shake, so I'm ready for it. Yeah, and with good reason. We're all excited because the Rangers have been playing great. We all know, you know, they've they've gotten, I think, points in seven out of their last eight games. They have 29 points through 20 games. We're going to take a look at the standings a little bit later in this segment. But um, let's just talk about the last two games, which, uh, you know, uh, the Islander game from a week ago, if you're listening to this on, on Wednesday when it drops. Uh, Rangers beat the Islanders uh, at the new place at the UBS Arena was full of Ranger fans, as you'd expect, and, and the Rangers beat a very depleted Islander team. Um, but then the main event was the Black Friday game versus Boston, and I think there was, you know, obviously a lot of positives to take from both games. But, you know, Dave, I'll start with you. Um, you know, what what was the what what do you think was the the best part uh, of those uh, outside of the Marchand Panarin glove throwing incident, which we'll get to? What what was, was your hilarious. favorite part? which was amazing. But what what did you like most about what the what you saw from the Rangers especially during the Black Friday game because I think that was one that we were all dreading going into it. Uh, I don't so I know that the Rangers have won the Black Friday game before, but I can't recall the last time the Rangers actually looked good on the Black Friday game. Uh, I have vivid memories of well, sort of memories of being in Toronto watching that game in real sports and the Rangers were just absolutely horrible. Uh, I have memories of the Rangers just getting completely crushed. And it's just the thing for me in that game particularly was 2-2 in Boston heading into the third period in a game where, if I recall correctly, the Rangers owned the second period, but they kind of got crushed in the first period. Mm-hmm. They don't win that game. They lay an egg in the third period. They lose 4-2. And they didn't do that. This the That prompted the whole Rangers aura is different this year. Mm-hmm. The, there's a yep. different feel to the team. And if there's one game that you can say, hey, what makes this team different from the Vigneault teams, that's the game. It's not the prettiest win. 
But it's one of those mental wins that the Rangers really needed. Boston isn't even that good this year. I should say they're not as good as Boston teams prior. That's fair. And it it was a different kind of a win. And I am discounting the Isles game a bit because they basically play Bridgeport. And it's fun to smack the Isles around, but they were an AHL team. It's the Bruins game that you take a step back and you realize this is this team has a different feel and they, they if they're I'm trying to put the proper words here that's the game where you can point back and say you know what this team can make noise in the playoffs mm-hmm. that's a playoff game the way the Bruins play and they weathered the storm and then they took control of the game when it mattered most. Becky, you sounded like you were agreeing a lot with what Dave was saying. Mm-hmm. I was. Odd. But I was. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay, okay, okay. No, uh-huh. it's true, though. I mean, like, that's that's the difference, is that instead of, like, laying down and dying, which is what we saw a lot of, especially last year, they didn't. You know, they, they pulled it together, and they were like, listen, we got this. And... Look, there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I really don't want to get too off track, um, but I, I did see something like someone on my timeline mentioned, oh, like, why don't we go after Evander Kane? He'd be cheap and like whatever. And Oh, I saw like, that too. Oh. It's like because because we just, de- you know, we just cleaned house completely, you know, we like in front office, but I don't want to even like go there with the front office but like you clean the locker room out i mean we saw brendan lemie literally bit brady kachuk the other day so (laughs) like that's not happening anymore and we don't have like parlor chat in our locker room anymore and like suspicious reports about you know like really disruptingly hazing the rookies and whatever so i'm just i just feel like you're at a point where like your locker room is jiving like whether it's all PR and like the Rangers just really good at showing like the stuff that the fans want to see or not. Like they really like, listen, Georgie isn't punching anyone in the face this year, at least not yet. So it's just, let's just keep it like rolling. Like they, they seem to get it. And that's just independent of the talent. That's independent of the coaching that we're having right now. And independent of the fact that like, you know, some players who were kind of sleeping in the beginning of the season are coming alive now. Um, I just, it, they feel special. I mean, the Islanders game was great because the fourth line really did work in that game. Um, you don't expect that, like, Revo's ever going to have a two-point game. And I think they said it was his first ever, like, two-assist game or something. Like, he never mm-hmm. had that before. And he's played 700 games in the NHL. So, like, that's pretty awesome. Um but, like, when everyone was stressed out about, oh, we're signing Ryan Reeves. But, like, I don't know. Gallant, I'm sorry. Let me say it properly. <laughs> Gallant, you know, has has played, has had him on his team and has had good results from him before. So, like, this is where you have to blindly trust it. And then if you see it's not working, then you could start to question it. But, like, there's a reason why he's there. And he he kind he's not kind of he he's proving his worth all the time and so all of this to say that the islander game although they played against essentially bridgeport 
And then the Bruins game, you knew that they would believe in themselves in the Bruins game because of stuff like the Islanders game and the way that mm-hmm. they were just like, you know, popping off and like the fourth line was like losing it and Reeves with that pass. I mean, like, are you kidding me? What was that? I think he that was, was even like, what was that? Oh, that was absolutely incredible. I mean, I couldn't agree more, especially about the fact that even against a depleted Islander team, they're still on. The, uh, it's still a road game. The Isles are desperate to get a win at home. They're still extremely well coached. Uh, and it was a close game, and I think the Islanders actually carried play in the first period before the Rangers kind of woke up and, and took over in the second and third, and then it re- wasn't really a contest. But then going into Boston um, with all the bad history surrounding that game and just the you know a, a, a historically bad matchup against the Bruins, um, I think you're right, Becky. I think they carried a lot of confidence into that game. Also, look, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we have been saying week after week on this show that – Talk to us at Thanksgiving. Talk to us at Thanksgiving. Talk to us at Thanksgiving, and we'll see how the Rangers are playing. And not only do the standings look good, but the on-ice process is immaculate right now. I mean, since that Florida game, which, yes, the Rangers won, but we all know they got outshot outshot literally like 100 to 30 in terms of shot attempts (laughs) in that game. It was ridiculous. They should no business winning the game, and they acknowledge that. Since that game, they have the second-best expected goals for percentage in the NHL. And that's all you need to know. They are literally creating more offense than all but one team. And they're playing good enough defense that they're not relying on their goalie to stand on their head. Um, The thing that really stands out to me is, obviously, I think you're right, Becky, that certain players have come alive. Panarin's playing much better now. Kako's playing much better now. Um, But the bottom six has shown that it can contribute in real ways that this team has not seen since those, you know, early 2010s, mid 2010s salad days. And I think I just want to talk about and shout out, uh, you know, the third line in particular, um, who has been absolutely awesome. And, you know, Dave, I mean, what about Julian Gauthier? He's been incredible lately, right? It's amazing what a new coach does for a player with straight up raw skill that needed fine tuning in order to get the most out of him. As much as David Quinn was brought in to be a developmental coach, he was not a developmental coach. Gauthier always had... When when they traded Joey Keane for him, I loved the trade because Gauthier was basically Chris Kreider light. And now we're seeing Chris Kreider light. Uh, I, I don't know how else to put that. And he fills a hole at right wing that the Rangers desperately needed to fill since Drury completely mismanaged that entire situation. You know, imagine yeah, where I, we'd be without Gautier. You know, we'd have Kako and uh, Shrug. Who yeah, else well, would be a right wing? Seriously. It's it's a great point. And I do want to shout out uh, a friend of the pod, Paul Collette, P. Collette 88 on Twitter, because I stole his um, his line, I suppose. But And he tweeted this back in August, and I'm actually trying to find his original tweet now, but... He basically said, I'm putting it out there right now. I think Gerard Gallant is going to turn um, Julian Gauthier into the Rangers version of Alex Tuck. And, you know, Alex Tuck is a big, fast, strong, you know, 18 to 20 goal, you know, power right wing um, who now plays for the Buffalo Sabres. Obviously, Gallant, Gallant, excuse me, is going to be doing that all night. I'm going to be uh, doing that him. for the rest of his tenure in the range with the Rangers. Seriously. Yes. So Gallant 
had uh, had Tuck in Vegas, and he was one of those guys that I watched, and I did end up watching a lot of Vegas, obviously just because they were in the playoffs and they were a new team, so were, their games were always on. Um, and I was like, wow, this guy can fly, and I'm like, who the hell is this? Where did he come from? And it's like once he played for Gerard Gallant, he became – what he is today, which is what everybody knows him as. And I think Julian Gauthier has the exact same skill set. And, you know, I had been saying, I think he can be the Rangers, Alex Tuck. And I, I basically stole that from Paul. So thank you, Paul. I did want to, um, I did want to shout that out. Um, Becky, what are your, what are your thoughts on, uh, on, on Gauthier, but also that third line in general, obviously, which is really clicking now with Heedle and also Alexi Lafreniere, who got a goal on, on Black Friday. Well, I'm just glad that Heedle's injury wasn't so serious. Um, and that, you know, he's able to play and, and not going to be out for a while um, because it feels like every time he's heating up, he gets hurt and then bam, he's done for a while. Um, I love it. It's shades of and I don't think we're there yet, but it's definitely shades of, you know, 2014 into 15 season, third line, Zook, Brass, Pouliot, like just a thing of beauty and the, the the thing that was so great about that line is that they are your third line and so we're not talking about top six anymore we're talking about having a good top nine and when you have a good top mm-hmm. nine then you could roll lines whenever the hell you want and it doesn't even matter if the other team doesn't know how to defend and I mean our, the fourth line that year was great too you know obviously not as productive sorry Sophie's trying to do parkour over here <laughs> Sophie the cat. Cats she wants to be on the are show. Evil get Dave, a dog. Dave, Dave, stop. No one wants your bullshit input. Um, oh no, no, you're getting my bullshit input. So the fourth line was not, you know, obviously not super productive, but they they were, you know, they they held their own and they were able to defend and it wasn't like putting a black hole out there every time they went out. So I think that's what we're seeing shades of and and funny enough because that team also started off miserably. And I think earlier on this podcast, we had a discussion with someone that said basically, like, does this does this look like that, you know, when they played on the West Coast swing and was brutal? Maybe it was just a discussion amongst the three of us. Who knows? But um, I think that was the three of us because I was having PTSD from writing those gold breakdowns when they got escorted 15 to two in two games. Yeah, and I was having PTSD from not currently being in Italy, which is where I was then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, now we're just we're just rambling here. But <laughs> to say no, it, well, there's more there's more similarities. Yeah. Well, and uh, again, I'm glad you brought up that line because uh, so Rob Luker on on November 27th, so a few days ago, tweeted that you know the Lafreniere Heedle Gautier line is over 50 minutes. They've played over 50 minutes together at five on five. So. Um, he, and I, you know, bear with me as I read through the numbers here, but there are 121 lines, right? Three, three man combinations that have played over 50 minutes, uh, at five on five. Here's where that line ranks out of 121. All right. So in terms of expected goals for fifth, 67.45%, uh, expected goals for per 60. They are first. They are the best line in terms of ex- uh, expected goals for, uh, per 60, uh, expected goals against per 60, 69th, so middle of the pack defensively. Nice. Um, and then actual, 
Yeah. Actual goals for um, 90th, 41.04%. So actually getting a little bit lucky considering all the offense they're creating. So I replied to Rob or, or quote tweeted and said that. I, I would guess Zook Brass and Pouliot had similar numbers. Sure enough, uh, a, a great uh, you know fan or follower of mine and hopefully now a listener to the pod, John Grady, N- at NYR Grady. Shared their numbers. Again, uh, you know, they're not identical, but they're very similar. 61% expected goals for for the Zook Brass pulley outline. Um, their actual goals for was 68%. So they were actually doing even better than their, um, they were a little bit slightly luckier than, than you would ex- uh, expect them to be based on what they were creating uh, or producing more, getting more actual goals. So they were also much better defensively. Um, but that also, you know, may come with time with the Lafreniere, Hedl, Gauthier line. So, I think that's, you know, all to all that is to say, uh, Becky, you, you nailed it. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, they have a legitimate top nine now. Now, look, yes, Dryden Hunt is still on the in the top six. He's playing with Panarin and Strom, but he's had good results there. He scored a goal against the Bruins um, and also had an assist, you know, was was involved in the Strom goal that uh, tied the game at one at the end of the first period, which was a huge goal, a huge goal, which... We want to talk about making plays, Dave, that the team just did not make in previous years. They had gotten outshot 17 to 4 in the period to that point. And they were any other team, the Ranger team in recent memory, is going into, into the locker room down 1 0 at intermission. That line stuck with it, scored a goal with four seconds left in the period, and, and they pretty much dominated the rest of the way. So, um, I mean, yeah, just really good things all around. Now, Let's get to what happened at the end of the game. Wait, hold on. I need, to, I need to oh. correct myself. I'm sorry. I was saying that was 14-15. It was actually a 13-14 team. So my Oh, bad. that's okay. My mistake. I apologize. No apology necessary. That's, that's absolutely fine. Apology um, not accepted, Becky. <laughs> Never. I'm going to put Sophie As usual. in your pillow. Yo, that will. That's actually murder, all right? Facts. <laughs> All right, so let's let's throw some gloves. You guys are doing it virtually. Um, so, so so let's talk a little bit about the Marchand Panarin incident. Um, first of all, it was hilarious. I'm I'm sure, you know, you guys felt the same. It was one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. And Rob, his proper name is Ratface. All right, it is Ratface. You're right, and he here he will hereby be referred to as Ratface henceforth. Um, no, you know, what, what of course prompted that was now widely reported to be remarks about something about Artemi Panarin, you know, not being liked by any other Russians because of his essentially political stance, right? He, he's been outspoken against Vladimir Putin. Obviously we know what happened last year and what that led to for him, you know, basically fearing for his and his family's safety, um, needing to take a nine game leave of absence to deal with that and ensure their safety, you know, not stuff that you want to mess around with and not stuff that, I mean, in my opinion, um, you know, should be joked about. And there's Marshand, you know, crossing a line. Now, now Arthur Staple, who originally broke this, by the way, more great reporting from uh, the, from Arthur at the athletic it's, he's just been awesome since taking over, you know, some Rangers coverage uh, in the wake of Rick Carpinello's retirement. Um, so shout out to Arthur Staple, podcast guest, of course. Um, he used the word xenophobic in his, in his initial report. Now, I believe The Athletic issued a correction and took that word out of that article. Um, 
I still think it's pretty close to xenophobia, and I don't blame Artemi Panarin for reacting the way he did. He also didn't do anything that violent. Yes, of course, you're going to get suspended or, excuse me, fined for, you know, throwing something from your bench either onto the ice or to an, at another player on, on the other bench. But um, I certainly thought the reaction was justified. I don't know what, what your guys' thoughts on it were. Yeah, I mean, personally, also, like, I love that we're so concerned about, like, Brad Marchand, who is currently serving a suspension for slew footing someone. So, like, uh, you know, I mean, not going to cry a river for him. Um, he, It was hilarious. Like, we saw it. We saw the replay. And I think we were all, like, sitting there, like, pardon? What just happened? Um, and, of course, Shayna got the gift because that's, like, what she does. She's just on it. Um, and that is... Something that I want to look back on and maybe like show Emily in 15 years. Like, this is the magic that happened when you were just a little baby. I mean, first, I think we need somebody to mash up a gif of Artemi Panarin's leg kick and the glove throw. So it looks like he's punting a glove at Ratface. <laughs> I'm just I like I, that. I think that needs to happen. And I don't know who is creative enough to do it so anybody listening to the pod feel free and yeah seriously because that would be just hilarious to me uh that was one of the funny it's first off marshawn's a clown and to say something like that knowing that panarin actually went home to fear because out of fear for his and his family's safety to bring that up and then to double down on it by saying, I think this was today, we're recording Tuesday, so I think this was today when he said, oh yeah, I just said that nobody in Russia likes him, and if that's all we can say, then everybody's soft. You know, To double down on it, first off, we're not that dumb. We know you said more. Yeah. Second, this man legitimately feared for his family's life, and you bring it up. What kind of scum douchebag are you? Yeah, well, and of course it's going to get that reaction, right? So for him to go, well, that's soft. Like, come on, man. You know, and you are you live such a, a privileged life, frankly, that you'll never have to deal with anything like that ever. There's no, there's no chance that Brad Marchand is ever going to feel any level of um, fear the way that Artemi Panarin would have felt fear. Uh, in the wake of that whole situation with the, you know, the the, the phony news report about the incident, uh, you know, supposedly when he was, you know, a young a young player in Russia, you know, that was sort of the genesis of the whole thing, and then he had to take the leave of absence. So, yeah, I mean, just you know, no class, of course, but also just no uh, appreciation or or empathy for the life of anybody else. And I mean, yes, on one hand, yeah, he's he's scum. What else would you expect? But also. Um, you would hope that he wouldn't double down on it, but of course he did. So, no, I mean, look, I, ultimately Panarin had fun with it. He threw his glove. He'll pay the fine. He joked that he makes $11.6 million. I believe that's more than Brad Marchand makes, by the way, if you want to maybe take that as an indirect dig at Marchand. Who's a great player? We have to say it, obviously. Um, frankly, Boston looks like a very pedestrian team when that line, him, Bergeron, and Pasternak are not on the ice. Um, it's not a surprise to me that the Rangers dominated them, especially when they were off the ice, because the rest of the team isn't that good. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, just a you know, a, 
a very funny incident. But, but what I will say, and, and this was my takeaway from the whole thing, you knew Boston, when the game was out of reach, would goon it up a little bit, right? They would turn up the physicality. They would probably start th- taking runs at people, trash talking, blah, 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 blah. And again, the Rangers this year versus the Rangers last year or in previous years handled that situation so much better. You know, Fox, I think, jumped in because there was a dirty hit thrown on um, Lindgren, right? Mm-hmm. By um, yeah. yep. Who was it that threw that hit? I think it was McAvoy, wasn't it? No, that was... Yeah, uh, I think- no, it was McAvoy, you're right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and even in the previous Islander game, Lafreniere fought Pajot. I mean, I, I, was th- I was thinking Pajot, and I'm like, wait a second, he's not on right. the Bruins. It might have been that. It was that game. I'm sorry. That was the, the dirty hit on Lindgren was by Pajot in the Islander game. But no, McAvoy the- threw a questionable hit, too. Yeah, he did. And then, I mean, what I can't remember which game it was, um, but I definitely said, like, hey, they should put Reeves out there for, like, the last 35 seconds of the game. And they did. And, like... Yep. You know, you better believe, like, having Reeves on the ice, you're not going to pull that shit. And there's your grit, you know. I mean, Reeves has fought one fight in however many games, over 20 games that they've played now, or 20 games that they've played now. Mm -hmm. And people are all like, yeah, they're going to goon it up. They're just going to fight all the time. And it's like, well, I don't know. He's had one fight, and it was some kid trying to prove himself got his ass beat, you know. so (laughs) That That was actually fun. So, Ryan Reeves has more points than fights this year. Three points. Sure does. Three mm-hmm. assists. Mm-hmm. And that was a... Yeah. That, uh, was that against Boston? Or was that against the that Islanders? Against the Isles. The Islanders. Oh, man. Uh, I, I I almost woke the baby up again. Because <laughs> I, I just said, what? I didn't know Ryan Reeves could do that. And then I remember, these guys are professional hockey players. Even if we don't... Like the way some of these guys plays, Ryan Reeves who skates circles around any one of us listening to this podcast right now. And then you yes. realize he can do that, and then he did it. Uh, yeah, and, so and, and having watch. him, it was a, so fun to watch. And they are very fun to watch. I mean, that's the other big takeaway for me is just their games are so entertaining. Every win on this run has been more impressive and fun to watch than the one before it. It's it's really been the best stretch of hockey that they've had in, in, in years now. Um so that brings me to our next point here, guys, which is this four-day break. So obviously there's COVID concerns. The, the Islanders are, are, are um, on a break basically due to COVID. They've had over seven players either test positive or placed in protocol, which I think triggers essentially like a, you know, a, a suspension of play and, and postponement of games for that club. So the Islanders are, are hopefully getting over their COVID issue soon. But that meant that the Rangers didn't play Sunday evening at home, the return game against the, the Islanders. Um, and they, they don't have another game until tonight, if you're listening to this Wednesday morning, against the Flyers. And then, you know, they get into another stretch of games here. But, um, you know, I'll ask you, Becky, are you worried that this four-day break is going to break their Rangers' momentum? Um, God is saying no. I think I would have worried if it was a little bit longer. I think, I hope that they rested. I hope that no one has COVID symptoms, you know, like I'm hopeful that they didn't get it from playing, you know, whatever Islanders were actually playing in the game last week. Um, But I do think it'll be good for them to get back out there play. I just hope they took advantage and actually got some rest this break. Yeah. I mean, the previous break was right after the Florida game and it was so well-timed. I mean, they were obviously not playing well. They'd been on a bunch of long road trips. So this one feels a little bit more, ill-timed for sure but 
I mean, look, this is why Gerard Gallant is your coach. That this is it's his job to keep them prepared, keep them ready. So I tend to agree with you, but I, Dave, do you have what's your opinion on that on that matter? Obviously, there's nothing you can do about it. You have to play the schedule or the not schedule that's in front of you. But but what are your thoughts on the uh, on the unexpected break here? Oh boy. So I'm going to keep this strictly hockey because I have my own takes on Gary Bettman, the Islanders, and all this crap that just happened. Well, we can hear those too. I'd love to hear them personally. But go with the hockey first. Okay. Um, I don't think it kills the momentum. I think the Rangers are still riding high from a process standpoint. I think this would have killed them if they were getting crushed but still winning. Yeah. Good point. But they have been playing so well. They've been dominating play. If anything, I think it makes them better. Because now they're rested. They don't have to worry about starting a struggling Georgiev, at least not immediately, because they have a bunch of back-to-backs coming up. And they can legitimately just breathe and relax and continue what they're doing. And they're going to continue to win games. On the non-hockey side of things, how in the world can you allow... Teams to play the Islanders when they have half their team in COVID protocol. And then double down on it by saying, this league is 99% vaccinated. Statistically speaking, I think it's a 1% or 2% chance of a breakthrough case if you're fully vaccinated. That's from Johns Hopkins. So I'm not pulling that out of my ass for anybody listening. Mm -hmm. And to have... How many many quote-unquote breakthrough cases have... The, have the Islanders seen, and then the Bruins with Bruce Cassidy, and now the Rangers with Greg McKegg, and we've seen uh, uh, the Hartford Wolfpack now. Um, yep. I'm calling bullshit on Gary Bettman's 99% of the league is vaccinated. You're a fucking liar. We always knew that. <laughs> well, and you're to a be little fucking you. twerp. I honestly hope somebody gives you a wedgie at some point, in, like, like immediately. I don't mean like. In the past, oh, Gary Bettman in high school got... I mean, like, now. Somebody needs to give you a fucking wedgie. And just retire. Because you're killing the game. And you're putting people in danger by not saying, Hey, the Islanders have 15 players in COVID protocol. Maybe we shouldn't play the game. And now I'm convinced the Rangers are going to have something happen. Convinced. I'm worried about that, too. And I'm I'm worried about that too, and and I I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. Sp- specifically on the point about vaccinations, this this isn't happening in any other sport. The NBA, it's an indoor sport. Yes, the rosters are smaller, but the rate of cases is is much lower. Uh, you know, there's been one or two spot cases here, but the league has been remarkably uh, clear of COVID issues. It's not happening in the NFL. Larger rosters, obviously, outdoor sport, but. Um, you know, and there, but there's also like a very clear, you know, there's a lot of players who aren't vaccinated in the NFL, but the NFL obviously has stricter protocols uh, as well. But, you know, to, to parade um, out there before the season and say, we're really proud of it, you know, we're 99%, we're in the single digits in terms of players who are unvaccinated right now. Obviously, we know Mackenzie Blackwood, there might have been a couple of other prominent ones. Um, I just don't believe, and especially in light of the Chicago Blackhawks scandal, and all the other lies that the NHL has told us over the years as fans, I cannot take them at their word. And maybe that makes me a little bit of a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist, but I cannot take them at their word that this league is 99% vaccinated. There's too much COVID nonsense going on. 
and it is jeopardizing now potentially the season. We're probably not going to see Olympic hockey, which, again, you want to talk about from a Ranger perspective, might be a break, not having to worry about Igor Shosturkin, Mika Zibanejad, picking up injuries during an Olympic tournament or coming back, you know, gassed from having to travel to and from, uh, you know, Beijing and playing all these high-intensity games. Fine, that may benefit the Rangers, but it doesn't benefit the sport. And I think you're absolutely right, Dave, in the sense that Bettman's killing the game. And he's been killing it for a long time. Now, yes, the revenue is higher, the TV deal. The money looks great, and we all know that. But I'll tell you what, the players aren't seeing their fair share because they're the lowest paid athletes of all the four major sports by a mile. It's ridiculous. And the game is not getting better, and the game is not being protected by the commissioner, which is really what his job is supposed to be. So um, I'm pretty upset about all of the all of the COVID stuff. And, and I think that you know the players have to be held to account as well, right? I mean... And, you know, Becky, I don't know if you have thoughts on this as well, but um, if the league is not 99% vaccinated, that is because players have dodged the, dodged the requirement, right? They're supposed to be vaccinated or face strict testing protocols. So, you know, are there fake cards going on? Have the teams just not been checking? Uh, or is the league not verifying? I mean, I don't know what the reason could be, but it certainly seems to me, I'm with you, Dave, that, that this league is not 99% vaccinated. There's absolutely yeah. no way they could be 99% vaccinated based off the number of cases that are gone. It's, it's, unless this is the largest statistical anomaly we've ever seen in our lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also I think fake vax cards are a very real thing. And I think it's, you know, we know Evander Kane had one. I know I briefly brought him up before. Um, we know Evander Kane had one. Curious, though, that you don't hear about anyone else having one. I would assume there's at least one or two other players who have them. And I also think, you know, it's he becomes the scapegoat, basically, and it's a way for San Jose to get out. Listen, I know that he's had some problems, personal problems, and I don't want to delve into the Evander Kane podcast here. But, um, you know, it's I think. I don't know. It just it feels like very like icky all all around. It feels icky to have a fake vaccine card and not to just get fucking vaccinated. It feels icky to, you know, have the sharks be like, well, we're getting rid of him because of this fake vax card and not because of like the whole gambling thing and the whole like really messy divorce thing and all the other personal problems. And, you know, it it just feels like kind of like. Uh, like you're falling on your sword but like also how do we know that like another person on your team doesn't also have the same thing you know what i mean um yeah just the whole the whole thing just feels kind of yucky to me but um there's no there's no way they're 99 percent vaccinated there's just no way yeah it's it's a really unfortunate situation and, and hopefully the league does something about it they released a memo to all clubs they want them to cancel holiday parties they want them to limit um, you know, community events, which again is a shame. You want to talk about hurting the game. Now players can't go to autograph signings and all the cool Garden of Dreams stuff the Rangers do. Um, you know, we know the Rangers are fully vaccinated because they play in Madison Square Garden. They're, they have to be. So, you know, kudos to them. And I'm glad that they're following the mandate. I'm glad that, we, you know, there's no Kyrie Irving situation happening with the Rangers. But um, yeah, it's it's certainly not, not, a, not a great story and, and something we'll keep an eye on here over the next couple of weeks because the Rangers have had close contact with both the Islanders and Bruins who are having COVID concerns. And obviously we hope Greg McKegg, um, you know, either tests negative soon or if he is sick that he gets better soon. Um, and hopefully it hasn't spread further throughout the team. Um, all right, so I did want to do, before we move on to the fan questions, just a quick look at the standings because we are at basically the quarter mark of the season 
We are also past the magical Thanksgiving date in which, you know, I think it's something like 77% of teams that are in playoff position on Thanksgiving Day make the playoffs. Um, so at recording time, this is 9.36 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesday, uh, November 30th. The Rangers are amazingly, because the division is so crazy good, in third place in the Metropolitan Division. They would That's good for a playoff spot, of course. 13 wins, 4 losses, 3 overtime losses, 29 points. Goal differential of just plus six because of some blowouts earlier in the year, uh, and obviously some some uh, their most of their wins earlier in the year were, were by one goal. I would expect that to even out over time. Um, they are two points behind the Carolina Hurricane uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Same amount of games played. They are four points behind the Washington Capitals. The Caps have played twenty two games. The Rangers and Canes have played twenty. So pretty tight there at the top of the division. And and just to give you a sense, the Rangers are. Um, six points ahead of Detroit, who is currently in third in the wild card. Columbus is second in the wild card. So the Rangers are basically five points safe currently in terms of dropping out of the playoff picture altogether. So very good situation to be in if you're the Rangers holistically looking at the rest of the league. But, you know, I'll tell you what, my main takeaway here, guys, is this division is really good and it's going to be a challenge for the Rangers to to um, climb any higher than, than third in, in this division. I don't know if you agree. I can't believe they're in third place with this start. It's amazing. It's <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. The, 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 uh, I'm I'm actually checking to see. Uh, I know Carolina went like thirty and zero to start the season, or some something absurd like Th- that. They were like twelve zero and one, I want to say, or or thirteen one and one. So so they've uh, cooled off actually. Uh, and it's funny they're not even in first place in the division. Washington is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Now Washington, to be fair has five overtime losses um yeah that is true they do so you know they they do have a bunch of loser points to kind of that are that are kind of keeping them uh, afloat but um no i mean look they still are very good and ovechkin's off to his the best start of his career amazingly at age 37 so unfortunately they're not going anywhere good for Uh, him yeah no it's it's great you know who else isn't going anywhere the five ten and two 12 points not statistically speaking, should not make the playoffs. New York Islanders. <laughs> yeah. It's not great for them statistically right now. Statistically speaking, if you're this far, if you're that far out, you won't make the playoffs. Obviously, crazier things have happened. Um, given one of the two of the teams ahead of them are the Devils and the Flyers, who well, actually in Columbus, those three teams are should not be good. And the Islanders should finish ahead of them. But too bad, so sad. Oh darn! So I'm looking at the I'm looking at this now. I'm glad you kind of guided us that way in the discussion here, Dave. Of the teams that are out of playoff position, so I'll read them off to you guys, Becky. I want to get your thoughts first. Right now, these are the teams not in the playoffs: Detroit, Boston, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Buffalo, Montreal, Islanders, Ottawa. Who do you think out of that group of teams can make a run and and supplant one of or two of the teams above them? Um, I think the Islanders are always, are always going to be like, you know, a threat just because they have a good coach. Um, and I think that a good coach makes a world of a difference. Like I think Barry Trotz can make a world of a difference. Um, huh, I don't know. What else? Can you can you re relist some of them? Because that was a lot well, of talking. Yeah. <laughs> the Red Wings. No. Boston. 
Mm, no. The Devils? No. The Flyers? Probably just to spite me. Hold on, wait, wait. See, you that's said what no I was to gonna... Boston. Yeah, they have one line. That one line has carried them to a Stanley Cup before. Well, they're all getting older. Yeah, well, in 2011, Pasternak wasn't there. I don't know who else was. It was, it was Krejci on that line at the time, right? It was it was Marchand, Bergeron, Krejci, I, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. But Listen, Pasternak I said wasn't what there. I said. He's a young player. I said what I said. I kind of love it. Dave, what do you think? Do you think it's Boston? Boston over. So we're getting... Oh. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was about to say we're getting five teams out of the Metro. No, we're not. Um, I can't, I hate the fact that Pittsburgh's going to make the playoffs because I, I really do. But Boston will supplant Detroit. Detroit is not good. Boston also has 22 points, trailing Detroit by one point with four games in hand. Yeah. That's a big, that's a lot. They've only played 18 games, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Boston will get into the playoffs. We'll see an even four and four split. The Metro is brutal, but if we're looking at this, it's really top heavy. I mean, the Rangers have two games in hand on Pittsburgh, up by four points. Yeah, which is good news. The Rangers also have two games in hand on Washington, down by four points. Just food for Oh, they're right in it. They're, yeah. No, they're right in the mix to, to get into the top, you know, into the top two, which is obviously what you want for play, for home ice, right? So you need to finish in first or second in order to have home ice. Obviously, if you finish first, you play a wild card. If you finish second, you play the third seed. So, look, it's a very early look at the playoff picture. Obviously, this will change a lot, but um, I did want to take a look at it just because of the Thanksgiving sort of cutoff point. We played a quarter of the season. The Rangers are on a unbelievably what a 116 point pace which is wild um and you know obviously i that probably will slow down over over the course of the season but we'll see uh all right uh we were going to potentially talk about the david quinn interview but i think we're going to skip that this week maybe we'll come back to it next week um he did say some semi-interesting things on the cam and strict podcast but we were running over we got to get to connor rogers shortly so becky i know we had a couple of fan questions if you want to uh get to those Sure. One moment, please. All right. Also, I just want to shout out that it's Gallant and not Gallant. I'm still not over that. I Uh, will never get over that. All right. So, fan questions. So, our buddy Bill to Spill, who we love, a friend of the pod, who got Gilbert Godfrey to do... The that was incredible. That was amazing. Uh, like actual tears of laughter. So he asks, I don't think the rumored extension for Jack Hughes affects Kako's next deal as we're boxed into a bridge. But if we were in a better cap situation, where do you think a long-term deal would have landed? A little theoretical here. Um, and, and Hughes' they, deal was eight years, 64 million. So eight years. That's a crazy million. contract, by the way. I think it's nuts, but I also get why the Devils did it. Um, Dave, I'm going to defer to you. You know, you, you know, you're familiar with kind of the contract projections, and oh, you know a little bit more me. about that stuff. You're going to hate. What me do you think? It, Co- I, I don't. So it takes two to tango. Kako would not, will not, or in this case, would not have signed a long-term deal because he wasn't going to get eight million a year. Given his production, an eight-year deal probably only nets him 
45, 50 million. He wouldn't have signed that. If you were Kako, would you have signed that? Absolutely not. Kako is going to push for the bridge deal, not the Rangers. In this hypothetical situation, Kako pushes for it. Why would we hate you for this? I think it makes sense. Because it's not an answer to the question. It's what do you think a long-term deal would have landed? And they wouldn't have gotten a long-term deal. It would have been a bridge deal no matter what because Kako's betting on himself. Well, I mean, you kind of said he wouldn't wouldn't have gotten the 45 or 50. Okay, fair. That's true. That's true. So, Yeah, I mean... I think that just, you know, looking at the the Jack Hughes deal, I understand why the Devils did it. I also understand, I think it makes sense for Hughes as well. Um, I think he's he's probably overpaid based on his current production. Now he's a very young player. Obviously, he's got a much higher ceiling than what he's shown so far from a production standpoint. But, you know, look, the Devils don't have the star players that the Rangers have already under contract, right? So... You know, they can afford to, and I think part of the plan, which I think, you know, we keep talking about what is the plan here uh, long term for the Rangers. I think part of that plan is to slow play it with Kako, with Lafreniere, with some of the other prospects and, 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 and guys coming up through the through the pipeline because you have your core in place. Um, we will find out very soon if that core is good enough to compete in the playoffs, right? But, you know, right now they can just bridge Kako and wait until – uh, you know, a few more years down the road when you start thinking about the end game for the long-term contracts that they're current core assigned to. So, I mean, um, it's a different position the Devils are in. They have obviously the cap space and they don't have the sort of slam dunk stars that the Rangers do under contract. Or the, you know, they obviously they signed Dougie Hamilton. He's really the only one. So two completely different situations. Um, no way... Kako uh, is currently worth $8 million a year or I think even $6 million a year. I think if, if both teams were open to a long-term deal, I, I don't know, five years, $5 million a year, $25 million total. Like, he hasn't shown anything. And I love Kako. I think he's going to be a great player. But, like, why would you offer him any more than 4 or $5 million a year at this point? I mean, Matt Zuccarello was on this team not that long ago making $4.5 million a year. And he was a legitimate top six like point producer so Kako needs to prove that uh, and he hasn't done so yet in my opinion all right then one other question and I actually am curious how we want to tackle it um because it has to do with the Quinn interview but I'm gonna read it so it's from at JB sports 22 and they ask from Cam and Strick's interview with Quinn he talked about how unusual it was for Laugh and Kako to step into a role that was in PP1 slash top line minutes right out of the gate from draft because of guys like Bread, Pooch, Krides, etc. This is why we have to be patient with these guys. What are your thoughts? So great question. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were going to potentially do kind of a whole segment on that interview, but um and I haven't listened to it yet. I did read some of the transcriptions that were floating around on on Twitter. But um, yeah, and I read these quotes. And basically, Quinn was saying, you know, normally if if a number one or a number two overall pick comes into the NHL, they're going to land on a very bad team, right? A team like Ottawa or Buffalo who would have lost, you know, 50 games or 55 games a year before. That wasn't the case with the Rangers, right? They had already started rebuilding their core and they got lucky with the lottery ball the ball bounces so they came into a situation where they're you know 
And I understand what Quinn was saying. He, you know, he can't go up to Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, Pavel Buchnevich at the time and say, hey, guys, you got to take a backseat to Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere. Like there's there's no way a coach of professional athletes could do that. So, um, look, I frankly think it was to their benefit. And I know people will disagree with that, that they should be given as much ice and as many opportunities as they can to sort of make their mistakes and play through, you know, the learning process. But I think they're actually in a great situation here. They're on a team that's trying to win. Um, they're being protected by their head coaches. You know, obviously Quinn's demeanor was maybe not the best for, uh, for those players. And his approach was a little bit heavy handed, but Galan is, is very protect Gallant. I'm sorry. He's very protective <laughs> of, of his players. Um, I think he often puts them in positions to succeed, but he is also going to do what's best for the team on that given night. So that's a great environment to come in and learn. I think, you know, people kind of overrate the whole like, oh, you just throw a guy in and let him let him play like that also ruins players, especially in a bad situation with uh, a bad team that's losing a lot. I mean, you know, look at Rasmus Dahlin in Buffalo. I mean, he was supposed to be the next Eric Carlson. He was supposed to be a can't miss slam dunk number one, you know, basically Adam Fox type of defenseman. And he hasn't become that, I think, partially because he's not on a team that is winning or had anything resembling a decent structure. You know, now they look like they're making a few minor strides with, um, you know, Don Granado at head coach. And after the, you know, finally getting rid of Eichel um, and sort of bringing that era to a close. But man, I mean, I'd much be the, rather be the Rangers and try to compete while you're rebuilding and, and have a good environment for young players as opposed to um, just throw them in on a bad team and, and see what happens. So those are my thoughts. I don't know about you, Dave. My thoughts are well documented on, at the very least, Lafreniere not being in. I'll, I'll give the t- I'll give the top line a pass because the third line has looked so good. But and you need tertiary scoring, but for such an imbalanced, holistic power play overview, power play one looks great, power play two looks like shit. I don't understand how. You can continually trot out the same four righties that can't, that I should say, not can't, that don't have that second one-timer option and not put one or two of them on power play two and get that unit going. You got two guys, Zibanejad Panarin, that both excel from the off-wing shot. One of them can't go to the other unit, and you put Lafreniere on the top. I mean, this is not just a Quinn thing. This is a Gallant thing as well. <laughs> and, yeah, it's unusual for Kaku not to step in because the Rangers actually have players. The Rangers lucked out. They won two straight lotteries, so and then they overachieved. So, yeah, I get it, but... As part of that quote, he also said Jesper Faust was a top six player, and I love Jesper Faust. If he is keeping one of your top two, two of your top two picks off of the top six and off of a power play unit, you have got to be fired. And I love Jesper. Yeah, I miss Jesper Faust. I miss him. And again, Dryden Hunt is not a top six option. I don't, think, I don't term, think I've no. seen him on the power play, though. Well, I, power play two, is no. that, it, it's not him, thankfully. But to no, Quinn, yeah, he doesn't play power play. 
to Quinn, Jesper Foss was getting power play time. There was a period of time where Kako wasn't even on the power play. Remember the, those fun days? Jesper Foss was getting power play time. And again, not a slight to Jesper Foss. I love him. I miss him. The Rangers could use him. They could use another right winger. That's I mean, it's Queen. a unique situation. Yeah. No, it is a unique situation, though. And I, and I do think that as long as the communication between Gallant now... Uh, and those young players is is good, and, and those guys understand why they're not on the power play, which I think they probably do. I think it's fine. I do think that you're right, Dave, holistically, giving Lafreniere a little bit more burn uh, on the power play, potentially on the first unit, giving Kako maybe the chance to quarterback the second unit, you know, take off one of Truba, uh, probably take Truba off and just have Lundqvist be the one defenseman out there, but maybe let Kako dominate the puck the way Panarin does, right, on the on the right wall. And playmake from there. Uh, that's an idea to get him a little bit more um, of a look. So, look, I mean, you know, certainly an interesting question, and we thank uh, JB Sports for it. So, um, but yeah, I agree. I, you know, um, overall, it's uh, I think it's a good situation for the guys to be in. I'll say that. Anything else, Becky? Nope, that was it. And I don't have any fun holiday-themed questions to ask, so we're going to have to put it out there for people to ask us at least one fun question per podcast because I miss that. Absolutely. All right, well, we're looking for fun holiday questions. Uh, We hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. We hope everyone's enjoying Hanukkah so far, which is underway. We're recording here on the third night of Hanukkah, getting ready for Christmas. Um, We are getting ready for Connor Rogers, who will join us right on the other side of this break. Joining us now on Live from the Blue Seats, he is the lead NFL draft analyst for Bleacher Report, the co-host of That's So Mets, a Mets podcast, and the co-host of Badlands, a New York Jets subscription uh, subscription podcast. He's also, of course, a huge Rangers fan. Connor Rogers. Connor, thank you so much for joining us on the uh, show today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Uh, very excited to talk New York Rangers right now. Let me tell you, this is... Um, you know, a little bit of a somewhat surprising start, certain surprising things. So I'm very happy to be here with you guys. Yeah. So obviously I read your very impressive credentials just there in that, in that quick little intro, (laughs) nothing hockey related. So a lot of people might be wondering, you know, why are we having you on, but why don't you just give us a a little bit of backstory about your Ranger fandom? You know, where does that come from? Is it familial or did you kind of pick it up at some point uh, later in life? What's your kind of Rangers fan story history? Yeah, so I would say hockey is maybe my favorite sport to watch now because I'm so disconnected from it from a work standpoint, right? I obviously do a full-time role in football, um, and I love the Mets, but, you know, I do the podcast for that. So hockey for me is like the total sit back and be a fan, right? I'm nothing more than that. I don't try to, uh, you know, like anyone else, I have takes, but I don't try to act like I know more than anyone else or, or anything like that. And I think for me... You know, I grew up in a, a household that is New York sports, everything. Um, my dad is a, a huge Jets and Mets fan and then kind of a loose Knicks and Rangers fan. But when he was younger, was all about the Knicks and Rangers as well. Being a guy from uh, New York City, spent pretty much almost his entire life uh, in New York City. And, you know, for me, it was pretty natural to gravitate to the Rangers, not only with him. That was his team he rooted for. Um, But I grew up about an hour north of the city as well. My friends were Rangers fans. That's pretty much it's mostly Rangers fans up there. Uh, I had no connections to Long Island until I met my girlfriend. So the Islanders were out and I now live in New Jersey. So I'm around a bunch of Devils fans. So ironically, I've surrounded myself 
uh, with our rivals, which is not great. <laughs> but I, I love the New York Rangers. Uh, since I moved down to the New York City area about seven and a half years ago, being about you know a 15-minute path ride into the Garden, I find myself going there the most. It's, it's obviously the best live sport. Uh, the, the atmosphere in the Garden is unmatched. And I think there's something special about being a Rangers fan, to be honest with you. I think it's one of my fandoms that has grown more and more year after year. I would say when I was actually like a young kid, I was more of a casual fan. And then when I got into really when I got uh, into high school and then college became a bigger fan, they were good. And then when I moved down here, the fact that going to games is such a special experience, they are truly quite possibly my most favorite of all the teams I root for. So I have to ask then, what is the best game or favorite game you've been at? And we also, there's another question later on that we're going to ask, so I hope it doesn't step on toes too much. But do you have a specific game that you attended that is your favorite that you say, like, man, I can't believe I was at that game? Yeah, for me, the best one I've been to is when Carl Hagelin scored the overtime goal in the playoffs that ended the series. Um, I was at that game, and... I was a, an absolute train wreck because I believe that was overtime as well. Um, so it was, yeah. Yeah, I was an absolute train wreck in the stands. I could barely even like truly just watch it because you're always waiting for the absolute worst in overtime uh, in the playoffs, of course, because it's just the playoff format's different. And yeah, so that's the best one I've been to. Um, you know, obviously, experience is watching them. There's plenty of them as well. But it's, uh, it, you know, the Garden's just an animal in the playoffs. And this year it's been, I've been fortunate enough, this is the first year I've been, I've been going to about 75, 80% of the home games. And uh, people are just pumped. People are really excited to not only be back in the Garden, but to watch this team play uh, because the style they play, it feels a little closer to the, you know, better torts years or the, the prime Vigneault year, you know, Vigneault years so I think when you look at it there is that energy that's coming back that I haven't felt inside the building for god I would say about six five six years yeah it's a great point I feel the same way I mean what did you make of and I think I wanted to kind of get your take on this and then maybe kind of do a little bit of a crossover right because of all the coverage you do specifically of of the Jets but what did you make of uh last spring's news uh around the you know when they they fired you know john davidson and and jeff gorton just the way last season ended you know did you think that that was going to be a little bit of a death knell to the rebuild you know what was your initial reaction to that and then um obviously now it's a little bit different with hindsight but you know things have obviously worked out with some of the offseason moves they made obviously hiring gerard gallant has been has been awesome but um results wise at least has been great so far so but but just go going back to to there you know they put all this time and effort into a rebuild and then they you know they kind of abruptly changed course what did you make of that honestly I was nervous when those firings went down because you don't know which way the ship is going to go we've known for so long that they were never going to let Drury leave that's been like the worst kept secret amongst the Rangers for a long time that, you know, you knew when those firings went down, you knew who was going to be taking over. And I was okay with that. But just when you look at Gorton and Davidson, uh, they did a lot of nice things during the rebuild where you can really see the vision. Now, of course, there was luck along the way with the lottery and, you know, Adam Fox basically driving himself here. But they did a lot of nice things. And for the most part, you know, there were draft decisions that I really liked. Some that were, of course, a little questionable at the time. But you start to get nervous of like, okay, you don't want to do anything too crazy, right? You don't want to 
uh, completely drive this off the course because I guess in Dolan's eyes they underachieved last year. Honestly, I don't know how you guys felt. I was kind of like, eh, you know, last year. They had a lot of injuries at the end of the year, but I wasn't really, like, shocked by the overall performances as a young, young hockey team. Uh, I knew this thing was going to take a little while. So, you know, and then, of course, you give Drury a clean slate and you go into this offseason, and quite frankly, you know, I know their draft was a little wonky, and I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the guys that they took, but I know they went off the consensus board for the most part. Uh, But for the most part, I'm not even saying this just because they're good now. I liked a lot of the moves. Like, I've loved Ryan Reeves for a long time and think he gets this bad rap as a guy that can only fight and can't play hockey. And I think in his minimized role as a fourth liner that's going to go out there and throw five to six hits a game, uh, his presence is on the ice. Let me tell you, guys on the other team feel his presence on the ice. They have their head up more than anything I've ever seen. Uh, So I really loved the Ryan Reeves move when everybody literally laughed at it. It's, there's really no defending the Booch trade, like what they got back for it. And I know it was salary related, but that was one of those ones where I was like furious for 24 hours. And then you just got to let it go. Um, and you got to be excited about such a young team getting better. That was something that everybody overlooked across hockey. They didn't realize how young this team was and how much better these guys can get. Obviously, Fox, we knew how great he is already. But Igor and then some of the younger guys slowly starting to take steps here. So, when the firings went down, I was initially nervous, but when you let the system play out, make a great head coaching hire, good things happen. Yeah, I mean, and the reason I wanted to sort of ask about that, and I think one of the, the, the great points you brought up there was just the development of young players and, and, and the patience that's required to sort of let that happen, right? Not expecting Kako to pop off and be a 40, 50, 60-point player right away, understanding what it takes to you know, bring those guys along at a little bit of a, of a slower pace. Um, you know, you, again, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this in light of the fact that you obviously do a lot of coverage of the jets. Yeah. Uh, you were closely with Joe Caparoso, who full disclosure is my cousin on his <laughs> subscription podcast, Badlands. Um, and you guys have basically chronicled all of the missteps that the jets have made now over the last, you know, pretty much decade. Um, as they've tried to go through rebuild 1.0, rebuild 1.2.0. So I guess the question is, you know, I was a little, I think people might've been reasonably worried that the Rangers made a bit of a Jets type move with those firings. Right. But it seems like they've worked out. It seems like it's worked out that they've taken the next step. But I guess my question to you is, you know, what do you see? What, what are the, what are the Jets doing wrong? What have they done wrong? And, and, and what makes a rebuild, successful and 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 you know like the rangers which is clearly on the right path right now right it's a great uh parallel to draw or lack thereof because yeah i mean i've i've covered rebuilds for my career i covered the nfl draft full time so i've i you remember the first real one i experienced covering year round was the browns you know the dolphins and of course the jets who i I never like to you're right about the decade they've absolutely blown it for a decade but the, they never accepted it like the Rangers did, right? Until very recently. The Jets always did the half, Joe and I always call it half measures, these half steps, you know, one foot in, one foot out. The Rangers literally constructed a statement and a tweet and basically said, we're blowing this thing up and starting over. And, and the Jets, when you look at all the moves they made over those last 10 years, I mean, let's go through what a rebuild is, right? You're probably going to be going in with a new decision maker in terms of personnel, which is more often than not your general manager. Uh, you're going to have a new head coach to lead the franchise. And the responsibility of that head coach essentially is managing and developing young talent. And then you're probably going to have about one to two 
guys that you draft early that you are deeming as stars, and then you build around them. Now, when you look at what the Jets did, uh, many things wrong, obviously, but they held on to the McCagnan regime a little too long. He, along with others, made a horrific hire in Adam Gase. And I know people don't, you know, like saying this because he was a consensus top guy at the time. Sam Darnold was a bad draft choice. So right there, you went 0 for 3. Now, with what the Rangers did, I think they had capable guys at the top. I don't think Quinn was necessarily a good or bad coach. Now, I do think in some ways he was the right coach for the period of time they were in with the transition period they were in. I think he was the guy to keep their head above water during that, and then it was obviously time to move on for a proven guy like Gallant. Now, another difference is, too, of course, the lottery luck. And, you, you know, you get guys like Laugh and Kako who aren't perfect yet, but I have a lot of faith in them, and I think Kako is really turning the corner here. But also the Rangers are the type of iconic franchise, uh, and they get credit for hitting on these moves, that made the right acquisitions in terms of not veteran players, because I think a lot of people associate that with older players, but proven legitimate pieces that can turn your franchise around even quicker. The Panarin signing, trading for Zibanejad and getting more out of him, understanding who to keep right like they don't get enough credit for keeping Chris Kreider who somehow is still one of the most underrated New York Rangers ever I don't people freaked out about that deal uh, they already constantly talk about like when they're going to move on and then he comes into this year and he's been dynamite and he's been an awesome player for a long time you get credit for going well we're doing a full rebuild do we move on from the guys that are approaching 30 within a couple years and get pieces back and really go full team of 22 to 25 year olds you get credit for keeping the right veteran presence and I think the Jets have had problems across the board of learning how to keep players or learning which ones to keep now they made a great decision getting rid of Jamal Adams but this is Joe Douglas and I think Joe Douglas has it right it's the guys before him that didn't so it's a layered layered issue rebuilding because you got to get a lot of different things right but you could see how many times the Jets have screwed it up and across, you know, across the way with the Rangers, it's, you know, it's early. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but we know Gallant's a really, really good coach. Like, we know that. We know that Drury's early moves are proving a lot of people wrong right now, and we know they have star talent on the roster that's already proven that gives the young guys more of a breathing room to develop, where areas the Jets are playing their young guys every single week, and they have to go out and win games Laugh, Kako, Keandre Miller, those guys don't have to do that right now. That's interesting you say that they don't have to do that right now because I think there's been a lot of um, kind of conversation, and this actually also came up in, uh, you know, the discussion. David Quinn had the interview um, basically saying that, like, Laugh and Kako were not legitimate top six and, like, you couldn't – essentially upset a top six player by slating them in there. So that's it's interesting you should say that. At what point do you think, though, like you kind of apply the pressure? Like, do you think at this time for like, just let's just talk about Laughing Kako because, you know, it's not their first season. And I guess Adam Fox is kind of like a, well, he's a defenseman, but he's also just kind of like a unicorn in that sense that he's just amazing. Like he's off the bat amazing. Um, at what point do you think it makes sense to, like, apply more pressure to Laughing Kako, if that makes I think, sense? Yeah, no, it does. And I think we're slowly starting to see it with Kako right now, where 
And, and in my opinion, he's really stepping up. Now, you know, with Fox, I'll say this. He's going to turn 24 in February. Kako's going to turn 21. So a lot of people kind of miss the, you know, how much age matters in the NHL because these guys, number one, they're unicorns, right? Like you only get like a, a, a couple guys in your hand you can count from each draft class at most that come in and play at 19. That's just not expected of guys. So I, I think it's hard to be patient, but fortunately they do have guys like Panarin, you know, Mika, Strom, good players in front of them, even Barkley, Goudreau, uh, that are, you know, picking things up a lot. But you're right. At some point, you do need to sit there and go, okay, you know, can we rely on you uh, to be a legitimate player going forward? For like, for Kako, this is his third season now. So, and I think you, the most important thing to keep in mind with him, you want to see him ascending throughout the year. And that's what we're noticing. Now, I thought he had a lot of bad point luck early on where everyone's like, oh, he doesn't have a point. And it's like, yeah, if you watch the games, yeah. like, it's ridiculous that he doesn't have a point. But at the same time, you know, you, you want more. You always want more. And I really do think we're seeing an ascending player. He needs to keep that trajectory on that path this year for you to go, okay, he's a top six guy. We really like the trajectory he's on. Now, with Laugh, I don't want to say I'm concerned, but my, what I always tell everyone is, like, for me with Kako so far, he really passes the eye test. His hands are just absolutely insane, and he does stuff out there on the ice at 20 years old that it catches your eye right away. You're like, wow, not a lot of guys can do that. If we can get consistency out of him, it's going to be really special. Now, it's so early with Laugh that you don't want to, you know, overreact or get crazy like that, but I just think we haven't seen it yet, and I think... It, obviously, the role they have him in right now, they don't necessarily trust him to go out there and do it like that yet. They don't trust him to go out there and handle that kind of significant role uh, where they're starting to give that a little bit more towards Kako. So you just always want to see them continuing to get better. Obviously, Laugh is a guy that's only in his second year, so he's going to get even a little bit more time. I think if this was going on next year, you sit there and wonder, okay, what's wrong? Is this something that can improve? Or is he just not getting better? But I think he's going to basically have a free pass this year, to be honest with you. While Kako won't, but I personally think he's passing the test right now. So you touched uh, a nerve with me on the laugh and the ice time and the role they're expecting. <laughs> and I am losing my goddamn mind. Not so much on the third on his spot at even strength, because you know what? The line with Heedle and with Gautier, and Gautier has been a major surprise and a pleasant sure. surprise, and that's making that line is working, and that line will eventually score. Um, the power play, it, I he's your number one overall pick. You don't have a second off wing shot. I know that power play one clicks, but power play two looks like a train wreck. It looks like the Islanders' power play, and. I just, it's how do you not put your number one pick on the off wing on power play one and you keep either there are so many different things you could do but right now having one lefty on power play one and being the best net front presence in the NHL you're not moving Chris Kreider from the front of the net how do you not put Lafreniere there he's your he's the he's the reason him and Kaka were the reason why you traded Bushnevich in the first place to give them the time they needed and to give them the ice time they needed to get on to get going and 
you're not doing it. So if these at some point we have to balance development with winning and it's just mind-boggling to me that they're more or less in my mind sacrificing a portion of Lafreniere's development because they're not putting him on power play one with players like Zibanejad, Panarin, and Fox and letting him kind of let loose a bit and let the skill work. He's a number one pick for a reason. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think it's a great point. Somebody recently sent me, you know, basically the numbers of like, you know, laughs overall on paper production isn't where um, or is where a lot of top picks are when you subtract the power play uh, production because he doesn't get any, right? So it's his, his basically his even strength ice time. He's not – the person was arguing that he's not underachieving, and I was like, that's actually a really interesting point. And I think you're right that it's – you don't mess with the first unit for obvious reasons, but if the second unit isn't really doing anything special, why are you afraid to go out there and give him a shot? Now, you know, I always defer to that these coaches get to see them in practice, but – Coaches aren't perfect, right? Sometimes they're stubborn. Sometimes they, they just are set in their ways. Uh, sometimes they can't see through to that, or sometimes they don't want to put that pressure on a young player. And we know how much, you know, Gallant sticks up for his guys, whether it's in the media, wherever it is. He really, really defends his guys. So uh, he's very protective mm-hmm. of them. So I'm with you. I, I think it's kind of strange. Um, I think it's at most it cannot hurt, right? Like why not give it – and don't give it the shot of like – one to two game stretch like give it a fair sample size where hopefully he gets comfortable develops and then you have to wonder like say it does click a little bit can that give him some of the offensive competence on even strength as well to take some chances and make some more plays so I'm with you it's bizarre and I truly wish somebody can get a real answer out of it but I know when the media does ask Galant questions about that he's not very interested in getting into it so you brought up another point of sample size and giving it time to work. Meanwhile, that top line of Kreider, Zibanejad, and Lafreniere had, what, a 54% expected goal share. They got, what, 50 minutes and were broken up. And all we were told by, and, 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 off topic, this whole Gallant Gallant thing is really confusing. <laughs> you ever look at the hell out of I was going to say, Connor, you're saying it right. So I've been wrong this entire. We've me. all been wrong. It's Gallant, apparently. It's not Gallant, and I'm still going to call him Gallant. It's like GIF versus GIF. I don't care what the creator says. Yep. It's GIF. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, back on point. Why would they not go back and try that top line again? There's something that Gallant said he saw, and it, it, he never elaborated on it. So. We, I question authority at this point of what are you a little bit more word, more words more words tell us what is going on say hey he didn't go this play he you know he was lazy he didn't go after a loose buck oh okay now we have something to work with tell me more why is he not on the top line when it worked so clearly when the Rangers were shit for God knows how long to open the season. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's it's yeah. funny, though, Dave, right? Because, you know, I, I mean, like you said, Connor, you know, he does protect his players. And I think, you know, I, some of the writers did insinuate that it did have more to do with effort and defense and back check than it did with anything offensively. Um, and I think, you know, because they struggled so mightily the first 10 games, um, that was probably the easy move for him to make, right? And, and it was also 
you know, let's shelter him rather than scratch him rather than, you know, do anything drastic. Just put him on the fourth line. I know that was a very controversial move. And that was when this all came to a head, right? Molly Walker asked Gallant. Uh, and I'm going to, I'll get oh, used yeah, to saying that. Feisty. I promise. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be hard for me to figure out Gallant. Yeah. Oh, I know. But, but yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good question. I think, I think it also proves that all these kids are different. All these coaches are different. Some kids can jump right in and play. I mean, Keandre Miller has definitely had some struggles here and there, but basically jumped right in and was like a solid NHL ready defenseman. We already talked about Fox. I agree with you, Connor, in the sense that I think Kako's game is more NHL ready than Lafreniere's, um, even though he was supposedly the one that had to adjust more coming from Europe, you know, playing on the larger ice, et cetera. Um, he's gotten the sort of like um, physical play and physical style of the NHL. I think it's come to him more naturally than it has to uh, Lafreniere. But uh, no, I mean, it's an interesting discussion. Um, so look, we, we've got a couple of more questions for you here before we let you go i think we got one from actually one of our listeners wanted to ask i don't know if becky if you want to ask that for us yeah sure so um logan hulst so at logan hulst 21 said if connor j rogers had to pick i'm like saying your full name here (laughs) if connor had to pick a role he would play on the current ranger squad what would it be Oh, my God. Put me next to Revo and let me hide from everyone. Good Lord. I mean, <laughs> no, it, it, in, all, it, in all seriousness, I mean, I, I guess I could I could probably still goon it up. Like, I haven't been on ice in at least, like, three or four years, so I don't think I'm going to be offering the first. I'm not keeping up with anybody in the uh, the top six for sure, not even close. Maybe on the fourth line I could just help Revo uh, – you know, kind of talk a lot of trash and, and goon it up. And, and honestly, that's the thing I would have the most fun doing, to be completely honest with you. I think it's um, it's, it's an underrated part of hockey. So there you go. I'm not going to uh, say that I'm going to chip in any, any points or anything like that. Yeah, and the rest of the um, question just had to do with favorite Ranger memory, but we kind of went through that before. So, um, do you, yeah. Well, do you have a memory? Manager. Oh, <laughs> I was going to ask Connor if you had a memory, um, a game you weren't at, just like what your favorite moment as a fan, I guess. Oh, man. I would say probably Kreider's goal to keep them alive against the Caps because I was out with – I'm like a bit – like I do not typically like watching uh, my favorite teams out at the bar, like busy bars with a lot of people, and I really don't like it when the game matters. Like if the game doesn't – like. The Mets, it doesn't like it's. There's a million games of the season. That's totally different. Don't care about yeah. that. And the Knicks is kind of similar for the most part. But like playoff Rangers, uh, t- and like in football, you only have so many games. But like playoff Rangers. So when I was, I went out with the Bleacher Report crew for that game, and obviously like we're sweating. It's an elimination game. They don't do anything offensively for like the first like 58 minutes of the game. And when Kreider scored that goal, we were out in the Upper West Side, and we went ballistic. I remember, like, one of my buddies, like, (laughs) broke a giant whiskey glass, and the bartenders were laughing, celebrating, loving it. Like, it was one of those New York City experiences where you're like, I'm so glad I did actually uh, go out for this, and it was was awesome to watch. You know, obviously the step-on goal, I was home for that, because like I said, I don't like going anywhere for, for... I didn't take the chance twice, and I wish I did. So I just think, you know, that series as a whole, uh, being out in New York for it was just incredible. Yeah, I'm the same as you are, um, but especially, like, 
I'm okay with the Rangers for some reason, I guess, because they were in the playoffs so often um, when That's I started fair. really watching them. But, like, I am like that with the Mets, like, a complete psychopath. Just not, I'm, like, not well. Like, I shouldn't be in public. And I know you're a Met fan, too, so I think you probably get it with 2015, like, the World Series. If, if I was out at a bar for that, I would have just, like, wound up in a mental institute. Oh, um, yeah. That ruined me. I was at the game where Conforto <laughs> hit two home runs, and they blew the game uh, on just uh, mental mistakes at the end. And that was the <laughs> longest train ride home in my life uh, from I know. You're, like, despondent. Oh, <laughs> but you feel good now, right, with Scherzer? What, what's your expectation? I mean, I'm, this is the most excited I've been for a Mets offseason and I mean, maybe ever, right? Because I was really young when they, you know, they made the moves to get, like, Pedro and, you know, yeah. even Beltron and things like that. Then, obviously, for a very long time, they did absolutely nothing with horrible owners. <laughs> so, this to, this was Christmas. This was, like, wow. It was, you know, I tell people, like, yeah, I'm excited for Max Scherzer. He's one, one of the most exciting baseball players to watch on planet Earth with how competitive he is. But I even more excited for the statement this makes for the Mets like they've they're not yeah. hopefully not like a laughing stock and they actually care about winning right now hell yeah no I think I saw a tweet that was like even if they don't land him at least this is a message that it's not your like Will Pond Mets anymore so it it's awesome now I want them to get Bryant and call it a day yeah that would be something it's just nice they're not shopping in the bargain aisle anymore right Scott Boris isn't hell laughing yeah. at them he's working with them yeah hell yeah all right, well, Connor, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Any uh, any final words here uh, before we send you off? Oh man, I mean, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Honestly, it's I really laugh at like the whole like Tom Wilson broke the Rangers thing, and now the Rangers are sitting there in 20 games. They have 29 points. Uh, I can't wait for them to play the Caps again. You know, I really want them to smoke the Islanders and the Devils the entire season. I really want them to just run through everyone. So, you know, all the jokes are are just pin back at everyone else i think this team it sure they don't score six goals a game right whatever but they play a type of hockey uh that's fun to watch they play hard and they have a special special goalie i cannot emphasize that enough how special he is where you know it's it's been a blast and hopefully the good vibes continue yeah we've been talking a lot about playoff memories and hopefully we can make some more memories this uh this spring so connor rogers from bleacher report that's so mets and of course badlands thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me live from the blue seats is a production of blue seat blogs please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already we're currently available on itunes and spotify if you can spare a minute please leave us a rating and a review as it helps other fans find the show Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and check out BlueSeatBlogs.com, the longest running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We will see you next week.